Our scripture reading today will be taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 45. In betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is God's word. Well, good morning. First service did better than that. Good morning. That was a little bit better. That was pretty good. Uh, My name is Justin Craig. I am the family minister here at Windsor Road. And today we start our Advent season. Uh, You can tell, yeah, there we go. First service just was like, hmm. You guys are all excited about church. This is great. Welcome. Advent's here. Christmas trees are here. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Advent before we actually hop into what today's topic is because I realized that, that we may not all come from the same background. We may have not all celebrated Advent before. Advent simply means the arrival of someone, something, or an event that is notable. Something that we want to remember. Something that we want to celebrate. And so when we talk about Advent here around Christmas time, we were talking about the arrival of Jesus. But the arrival of Jesus is more than just a season. The arrival of Jesus is more than a month. The arrival of Jesus is more than a birth. The arrival of Jesus is more than an event. The arrival of Jesus is the arrival of grace. The arrival of Jesus is the arrival of freedom. It's the arrival of the one who searches for the one. 
The arrival of Jesus is the arrival of the Savior, offering hope to the hopeless, strength to the weak, life to the dead, and grace to the sinful. I think a lot of the time we look at the Christmas season as a season of anticipation, right? I mean, we are anticipating that there will be friends and family that will come over to our homes. There will be yummy smells coming from our houses. We'll have Christmas cookies that look a little funny because the kids decorated them. Where there's one, like, Christmas tree that's got too many sprinkle ornaments on it. And the other one that doesn't have any ornaments and frosting's on the bottom side of it. And you're like, what happened here? Right? It's the season of anticipation as we are anticipating the coming of our Savior, but it also might be a season of anticipating some hardships, right? Like Sarah already said, where we might be remembering the people that aren't around our table. But it's a season of anticipation. We normally look at it through that lens. But I would like to suggest that we start looking through the lens of a season of transformation, not just a season of anticipation. You see, because, because we are anticipating the birth of Jesus. We are, we are talking about the advent, the arrival of Jesus. And Jesus is the Savior. And because he's the Savior, that means that we have something to be saved from, which in turn is our transformation. And so during this Christmas series, we're going to be talking about the songs of Christmas. We're not going to be talking about the Christmas carols that we're singing but we're going to be talking about the songs of our scriptures. So if you have your scriptures, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 today. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And as we're getting there, I want to just give us a brief background of what's happened. Zechariah and Elizabeth, the scene opens up on them. Zechariah is a priest. He goes into the temple, has this encounter with Gabriel, the angel. Gabriel tells him, you're going, your wife is going to have a son, you know, you're going to have a baby. And he goes, how can this be? You know, I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Guys, not the way to start the Christmas season. Don't ever say, my wife is well along in years. Just get rid of that, lump a coal in the stocking, lump on the forehead. It's just an ugly situation. So because of Zechariah's doubt of the angel, the angel now makes Zechariah mute until his child is born. He goes home, Elizabeth becomes pregnant, and she says, The Lord has done this for me. In these days he has shown favor. Then Gabriel appears to Mary, like we just heard. That Gabriel appeared before Mary, and he said, You're going to have a son, and it is going to be the Savior of the world. You're going to name him Jesus. And I love her response. Her response is, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. As soon as Gabriel left Mary, she hurried down to the home of her older relative Elizabeth to share the good news. Mary knew that Elizabeth had also been visited by God and that she too would give birth to a special son. As soon as Mary crossed the threshold, Elizabeth herself burst into a poetic blessing for Mary. Then Mary echoed back with what God was doing in her own life. And that's where we pick up our scripture this morning in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said... My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things 
and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. So what's happening here, right? Our scene opens up on Mary. Mary is a simple, young servant girl from Nazareth, a town that's just under 500 people. Nazareth was a town that was surrounded by farming communities. Sound familiar? A little bit. They're busy this time. They're surrounded by a farming community and a small, simple carpentry business. It was not a town that was thought of as extravagant or even remotely thought of as important, which is why they were able to hold on to their Jewish customs, traditions, and culture instead of being surrounded like the rest of the communities around them with Greek culture and Greek customs. And here in our song, in Mary's song, she takes the posture of praise and thanksgiving for God even noticing her, let alone giving her this privilege to bear the Savior of the world. Mary jumps into these ongoing reflections of God's good character and his long-standing relationship with Israel. And I think there's two points of emphasis that we need to make sure we grasp this morning before we close our time. There's two things that we need to understand about Mary's song that I believe we'll find important to our lives as well. The first one is in verses 46 through 49. If you have your scriptures open, just leave them there. We're going to be coming back and forth. Verses 46 through 49, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. The first point of emphasis we need to have is this, when our soul magnifies God, it humbles us. When our soul magnifies God, it humbles us. It simplifies us. If our soul is consumed with magnifying God, exalting God, rejoicing in what God is doing, then in turn we cannot be magnifying ourselves. When we magnify God, we become, or he becomes more and we become less. Mary grew up in a small town. No one outside of her intimate community would have ever called her blessed or favored or even called her by name. Mary was most likely not able to read due to the fact that most learning was simply verbal. She didn't have a specific set of skills. Mary didn't have money. Mary didn't have status. In others' eyes, Mary was ordinary. Mary was simple. She was not thought of as privileged, favored, or blessed. Now, in three times in our, in our Advent reading this morning and in our scripture this morning, Mary is called blessed. Three times. And when the Bible repeats itself, it means that we need to lean in and dig a little deeper. And that word blessed, right, the angel says it in verse 28. He says, you are highly favored. He says it again in verse 30. You are favored in the eyes of the Lord. And then she says it of herself in verse 48. She says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Well, that word blessed is the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 5. Let me remind you of what blessed means in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Blessing does not come from our earthly possessions. Blessing does not come from our success. Blessing does not come from our bank accounts. Blessing does not come from our education. Blessed is not sitting on our earthly throne surrounded by our platform, our resources, and our knowledge. Blessed is sitting at the feet of God, being satisfied with him, even knowing our name, let alone thinking that we are valuable. Mary was favored and blessed by God. And now instead of sitting in the value and identity of her past in Nazareth, you know, a town that's insignificant, she becomes blessed by a new identity and a new value given to her by God. She is not simply celebrating a miraculous conception, but celebrating the work that God is doing in her life as well. Mary brings nothing to the table of earthly value. She really doesn't. She's young and experienced in life. Small and significant town. Mary brings nothing of earthly value to the table, but she does bring obedience and humility. She is so captivated with God, even noticing her, let alone giving her the opportunity to bear the Savior of the world that she cannot find any reasons to praise herself. So she simply praises God. She was not concerned with her qualifications or concerned with how she was going to do this. Mary was consumed with what God was doing in her life and humbled by the fact that God wanted to use her. Believe it or not, God wants to use us too. God wants to use us as well. Right? God has given each of us gifts. God has given plans for each of us. God has a specific place and specific times and specific reasons for us to make a specific impact in the lives of others. But I think when we find out that God has a plan for us and God has something special for us, we tend to go in one of two ways. One, we either believe that we have to have it all together in order to be used by God. I've sat in that camp before to where I feel like there is no way that until I have these pieces put together, God can't use me. Right? We somehow gather together this self-made spiritual maturity checklist. We put together milestones or qualifications or signs that we need to have in place in order to be used by God. We either need to have it all together or we believe that because of our past, our present, and our inadequacies that we are not fit for God to use us. Too often we place a higher value on our mistakes than on our maker. We tell ourselves that because of our past, we are broken and unusable. We tell ourselves that based on the sin that is currently entangled us, we simply cannot be used by God. You see, each of, us, each of us carry baggage with us everywhere we go. Right? Everywhere we go, there's always some sort of baggage of our past, our present, or our inadequacies. And they're in, they're in luggage that we just carry around with us. We take it to work. We take it home. We take it here. Take it to our kids' sports games to our kids' plays and musicals. We take it to our schools. We drag our baggage around with us. Now maybe you're not like this, but maybe it's just me. But not only do I drag my baggage around, but it's got to look nice. Right? Like, I mean, I can't have any rips in my baggage. Like, I got to have my suitcase all put together. 
Okay, and as I'm dragging it around, people are going, oh, he's got baggage, but it looks good. You know, it's like, that's awesome. You know, dragging my baggage around. And inside, inside has to be even more neat, right? Like I have to have my sins all nice and folded just in case I want to use them again. See, when we take either of these positions, we make serving God about what we can or cannot do. We are taking a self-focused survey and giving God the pieces that we're comfortable with. We're not giving the humble, obedient version of us, but simply making a list and checking it twice. Instead of being concerned about what we are going to do when God calls us to do something, we should be consumed with what God is already doing. So here's our big idea for the morning that kind of encompasses the entire scripture And I think it's something that we need to lean into, something that we need to pay attention to on a consistent basis. It's up here on the screen. God is not impressed by our pursuit of perfection or our trial and error performance, but God is glorified through our humble obedience. This is not a do more, try harder situation. Because God is not impressed by our pursuit of perfection. God is not impressed by our trial and error performances. But God is glorified through our humble obedience, a Mary-like obedience that does nothing to qualify ourselves for service, but does everything to remember who is leading us. We don't draw lines in the sand, but we do draw them in our hearts. Because we think that our inability is more influential than God's ability to use broken people. But when our soul magnifies God, it humbles us. There's a very specific surrender that happens when our soul magnifies God. There's a very specific surrender in our lives that happens when we choose to make God the focus. Right? We surrender our will. We surrender fear. We surrender our hesitation, we surrender our want, but most importantly, we need to surrender ourself. When Mary magnifies God, she places him higher than any of her doubts, any of her anxieties, any of her fears, and any of her self-proclaimed inadequacies. How can we honestly look at God and still believe in our weaknesses over his calling? How can we see everything in scripture and everything today and still believe in ourselves before we believe in our Savior? How can we walk through life with the mindset that we have to have it all together when in the first place we needed to have a Savior? If Mary had looked at her qualifications rather than listened to God's calling, she would have lived with more doubt, fear, and hesitation rather than following God with a humble obedience. The second thing that we need to emphasize in our scripture today is found in verses 50 through 55. Let's go back to scripture. She says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. The second thing we need to understand about Mary's song is this. When we praise God for what he's done, we'll trust him in what he's going to do. When we praise God for what he's done, we'll trust him in what he's going to do. This is exactly what Mary does in her song. 
She is praising God for acts of mercy, justice, and love. She is praising his work in the past, knowing that God is faithful even when we are not. It's important to note that Mary was well-versed in Scripture and and the stories of her ancestors, despite her lack of formal schooling, despite not having a copy of the Hebrew Scriptures for herself at home, she was a young woman of the Word. She was more than familiar with it, and it had most likely been exposed to the Scriptures, often at the synagogue when she'd gone there to worship. But more than just hearing it, she internalized it. I think that's where we stop. I think we stop at hearing it. I think we come to church, we find a feel-good hour, we walk away with a little bit of a challenge, and we're ready, to, we're ready to hit the streets because we've heard the message of God. We might turn on the Christian radio and listen to that on our way, into, way in from work, dropping the kids off at our sporting events, and none of those things are bad. But I think we simply hear the word of God. Mary internalizes the word of God. She has grown familiar with it and retained it so much so that when she opened her mouth to speak, when she went to the Lord in prayer and praise, what came out was the word of God. We see this because Mary's song is so familiar with Hannah's prayer from 1 Samuel chapter 2, right after Hannah gives birth to, to Samuel. Mary understood the encounter with Gabriel, right? She had to have been excited because of the fulfillment of the promise that was given to David through Nathan in 2 Samuel 7 where God says he will establish the throne of his kingdom forever and the kingdom will endure forever. And so here as she pours out her praise about God's faithfulness, right, we see that in, in these phrases that she speaks of. That God has shown mercy to those who fear him, shown strength with his arm, scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of humble estate, filled the hungry with good things, sent the rich away empty, helped his servant Israel, and remembered mercy. Mary is pouring out her knowledge of God's provision and protection and promises as she reminds herself of God's character, reminds herself of God's faithfulness, and reminds herself of God's continued care. I think um, too often we are too busy with the problems of the present to remember the faithfulness of God in the past. We have trouble counting our blessings because we're too busy counting our problems. When we're in the middle of the storm, it's difficult to pause and remember that God has never let us down. There's not one day that goes by where we are not his child. God's provision always comes. Mary knows that in the midst of chaos, God is still in control. Right, I mean, look at these, look at these verses here, right? Scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. That's a chaotic situation. Brought down the mighty from their thrones, that's a chaotic situation. Sent the rich away empty, that is also a chaotic situation. These are pictures of hard battles of chaos in which God consistently wins. And I think it's important to note that these are all past tense phrases. Scattered, brought down, sent away. Shown, exalted, filled, helped, remembered. These are all past tense statements. And past tense statements have a way of making us feel like something is over with, something is done. But when God is at the forefront, we know it's only the beginning. Mary speaks these words of not only God's provision in the past, but confidence that he will do it again. God scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts and he will do it again. 
He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he will do it again. He has sent the rich away empty, and he will do it again. He has shown mercy for those who fear him, and he will do it again. He has shown strength with his arm, and he will do it again. He has exalted those of humble estate, and he will do it again. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he will do it again. He has remembered his mercy, and he will do it again. How many times do we need to be reminded of God's faithfulness and goodness and care over us? For me, it's daily I'm pretty sure I'm responsible for all the new devotionals coming out because I just keep buying all of them. I need that reminder every day. And I get really excited. Here's just a little inside note. I get really excited about a new devotional for about eight days. Um, and then, like, I start to, you know, I forget it here at the office or I forget it at home. And then it's like, oh, man, you're a bummer. That's no good. Right? And then, then I'll be like, oh, but my Bible app, hey, got a verse of the day. That will be a good thing to reflect on. Right? These are good things. And so I'll jump into that and it tells you on the Bible app, it says, it says how many days in a row you've been on there. I'm like, woo, 15. All right. And then it's like I missed the next 285. It's like, oh, what happened there? I need to be constantly reminded of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And I work at a church. A lot of you don't. We need to be constantly reminding ourselves of God's faithfulness in the past and trusting his faithfulness in the future. When we praise God for what he's done, we'll trust him in what he's going to do. And as we jump into a trusting relationship with God, we need to understand that there will be times that our trust will be tested. Mary experienced this. Her position as a young woman pledged to be married to Joseph is now pregnant. And according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, in Jewish law, she should have been stoned to death. She probably had a million questions about why events were happening to her. How was she supposed to handle this pregnancy? How could she tell her parents? How did God expect her to get through this? What's Joseph going to say? And perhaps she laid out all these concerns to Elizabeth during the months that she stayed at her house. But what we know for sure is that Mary embraced even her fears and apprehensions as an opportunity to exalt the Lord. God's calling will most likely bring out our fears. It will most likely bring out our anxieties and our weaknesses. But God's calling will also bring out his purpose and his provision and his promise through Jesus, his son. There will always be self-made hesitations about where God is calling us to go. There will always be uncertainties about trusting God with what's next. There will always be fears about following God into the unknown. But here's the thing, it's not unknown to him. It's right where you're supposed to be. We can sit in our fears. We can sit in our anxieties, our doubts. We can sit in our hesitations. But where we belong is sitting at the feet of our Savior. Following where God is leading going with more trust than trepidation. We've typically allowed the season of Christmas to bring us joy. But when was the last time that we allowed the season of Christmas to bring us new life? To bring us new direction, to bring us back into stride with our Savior. Mary didn't have the whole story. Mary didn't have every step laid out for her. Mary didn't have every decision made for her. Mary didn't even have all the parenting books. But she had her Savior. And that's all she needed. 
We don't need to have all the answers or even know the whole story. We simply need to know what God has done for us. And then we can start to believe in what God is going to do through us. Two years ago, uh, our youngest child, Greta, um, was, was two at the time. She's four now, but she was two at the time. And uh, it was Christmas time at our house. We had the tree up. We put the tree up super early this year. Anybody else do that? Yeah, yeah. some of you guys are like, it's been up since July. Uh, we're just following Hobby Lobby. Um, so <laughs> that was so random. I'm sorry. Um, had our Christmas tree up. My wife gets up early in the morning to do her devotional uh, before all the girls get up and chaos wrecks our house. And uh, so she's sitting downstairs and doing her devotional. The tree is on. She's sitting in her favorite chair. The light is on. And uh, all of a sudden through our monitor, we hear, she hears Greta calling out, Mommy, is it time to get up? No. Um, and uh, so she goes upstairs. She brings her downstairs. And uh, she says, okay, but Greta, listen. I'm going to be doing my devotional, so I need you to find something quiet to play with or, or just look at the books over there on the, on the ground. So she looks up at, at my wife. And she says, Mom, I just need to be next to Jesus. And she goes over. You can see in the picture that, hey, the picture's lighter this service. Nice. Uh, she goes over. She lays down on her belly, opens up a book, and starts looking at the book. And you can kind of see under our tree with a couple of presents there. But we have the Fisher-Price Little People Nativity set there. And that whole time, she just needed to be next to Jesus. As my wife is trying to pick up her tears off the floor, she's telling me this story. It's just a beautiful picture of, of where, where we're supposed to be. See, we were made to be next to Jesus. We were made to be next to our Savior. We were made to be next to our King. Here's the thing, though. You can't be next to our King and not be transformed. Sure, we're anticipating a wonderful Christmas season filled with highs and lows. But are we anticipating how God is going to change our hearts, how God is going to work inside each and every one of us if we allow him to. If we open up ourselves for a season of transformation rather than just anticipation. God's got a very specific calling for each of us. And the calling is not to just come to church, but it's to go and be the church. This is not where it ends, this is where it starts. God is calling you somewhere specific. But are we going? Are we making our strides next to Jesus? Remembering that he's next to us and that he goes before us. Let me pray for us.